morning to everyone. Whether you're here for the uh, thousandth time or whether you're here for the first time and whether you are um, yeah, quite sure about what you believe or whether you're just investigating uh, what faith is all about, you're very, you're very welcome here. Um, we are going to be talking about uh, gospel threads in, in Ephesians 1 and 2. We're doing a whole series on Ephesians and um, I think we've kind of been, we haven't done it in order necessarily, but that's great. Um, and today um, I'm using, I'm doing, so, I'm doing new things today. I'm doing a lot of new things. And one of them is using something called Prezi. So um, it's, it's a kind of a, it's a big jump for me now. And I'm just ho I'm hopeful that Adam will be, uh, will like this. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, it just gets better. It just gets better. So um, we're talking about gospel threads, and um, I'm just curious. Um, I started thinking, where does the word uh, gospel come from? We have gospel music. We have the four gospels. Um, where does the word come from? And I'm just wondering if anyone remembers, if anyone uh, is into Lord of the Rings here, there's a scene in The Two, tower, uh, the two Towers and, um, where Gandalf and his companions walk into, they go to Rohan, it's called, and they walk into the Golden Hall and there's King Theoden there and he's very old, got very, uh, he's crouched over like this and Wormtongue, who's the dark wizard, is whispering in his ear and poisoning his mind. And um, as Gandalf comes, and it's an amazing scene, but as Gandalf approaches, uh, Wormtongue turns to him and says, oh, <laughs> great start, <laughs> great start, okay. Worm tongue uh, turns to him and says, um, "Lap spell, I name you. Ill news, and ill news is an ill guest, they say." So, lap spell is uh, the translation for ill news or bad news, and uh, the word gospel uh, comes from two words. It's an old English word, and it comes from the word God or good, and spell, which means news. So the word actually means good news. And news is, is something that's happened. And it's, it's something that's happened and is then being reported. So it's good news that's being reported. And as a result, change has come, positive change. So um, turn to your neighbor and uh, have a little, just greet your neighbor and say hello. And talk, uh, talk about any, any good news story you heard in the media this week. Just one. Just one. You're not allowed to say the Ireland match. Okay. Just out of a matter of interest. Just out of a matter of interest. Um, Raise your hands if you if you heard a good news story from the media this week. Wow! <laughs> Every morning at uh, at half seven, quarter to eight, Fiona blasts Morning Ireland, and I'm always like, by quarter past eight, I'm just like, I need to turn this off. Um, I should listen to other other channels. Um, so just to say, um, it's it's kind of you know, Michael. Uh, so we we're doing the teaching, and I'm doing talking about the gospel, and that's very daunting to be honest. Um, and I just want to say at the outset that uh, the cr Christianity, the core message of Christianity is shallow enough 
for a toddler to paddle in or splash in. It's, it's shallow enough for a toddler to splash in, but it's deep enough for an elephant to swim in. Okay, it's funny when you look up, um, when you Google elephant swimming, there's so many pictures of elephant swimming. Uh, weird, who puts those things up? Um, so it's, it's shallow enough, what I mean by that is, it's about Jesus, and it's about a God who became flesh and moved into our neighborhood, and it's about following him, right? It's shallow enough that anyone can come and, and, and understand the basics, but it's deep enough that a theologian could never plummet the depths of the mysteries of um, who God is. And uh, there's always more. I love the fact that there's always more to explore, there's always more to investigate, and there's always more to be surprised by. Um, and so when it comes to the questions, uh, what is the gospel? Or what is this good news story? Um, there's a lot of moving parts, I think. And so I think it's much more diplomatic to say that there's aspects uh, I want to talk today about aspects that I see in Ephesians 1 or 2 about this good news story. Um, and I think all good things come in threes. So the three musketeers and the three amigos and um, that's it. And all good things come in threes. So there's three aspects that I want to talk about today. Um, because the gospel has been described before as a multifaceted diamond with different faces making up a beautiful jewel. So there's different aspects, there's different ways you can look at it. And I want to look at three. Um, so before we do that, before I get into that, um, the great thing about Ignite is you can try new things all the time. So we're always thinking about new learning styles and I, I appreciate that people learn in different ways. Some people love the visual stuff, some people love the discussion, and some people love listening. So um, under a certain amount of chairs, I've like put little presents. They're little verses, they're little, they're little verses uh, from Ephesians 1 or 2 that I will be focusing on. And I just thought, as a way to open up and just have a little bit of engagement, is for a few minutes to chat to your neighbor or you can do it on your own, and just have a little chat about what, what stands out to you about the verse that you're reading. And I'm sorry, I completely forgot the back row there, the back of the bus. Um, but if there's, if there's any spare ones under the seats, so just for a few minutes, I thought just to, for us all to be engaging with the text I'll be using, what, what, just, if for, just what, what stands out to you? What strikes you immediately about the verse? And I'm going to be referencing uh, these verses as I speak. So just for a few minutes, um, a, new, a new learning style. Okay, so hopefully you've got a little bit of a, just a bit of a sense um, as I said, people learn in different ways, and so sometimes it's good to just have a little read yourself before we look at the text. So I'm going to look, um, I'm going to just, sorry, I just want to set a little timer for myself. Um, so I'm going to look at three aspects of, of the good news story, the three aspects of the gospel that present themselves to Ephesians 1 or 2. I tend to... Drift, seasons of life takes you to one or the other, it puts a special emphasis, but I think these three are very important. Those are the narrative aspect of the gospel, the activist act aspect of the gospel, and the restoration aspect of the gospel. I'm going to explain what I mean by those. So, the narrative aspect of the gospel, okay, the story aspect. Um, 
This, some of you might have had, this one, this is from Ephesians 1. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus, our Messiah. What pleasure he took in planning this. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift giving by the hand of his beloved son. Now, the scriptures, they tell us a story about a God and his character and his gift-giving nature. Gift-giving, it's like, you know, constantly giving out presents. Um, and it, it t the scriptures tell us about a God who revealed himself more and more to our world. Um, the first few chapters of Genesis are beautifully written, the Genesis poem, and God makes meaning out of meaninglessness. He makes order out of chaos. He makes light out of darkness. And he makes beauty out of nothingness and that God who created all this desires to know us the mystery the mystery that God actually desires to know us David Benner says we are graven on the palms of God's hands and never out of the divine mind could you you're never out of God's head and all our knowledge of God depends on God's sustained initiative of knowing us. God wants to know us. And that means, that's really good news, because it means you're not just some blip in the universe. Um, you, this universe started somewhere, and it's going somewhere. And Genesis, which is the first book of the Bible, starts with the words, in the beginning. And the Gospel of John starts with the words, in the beginning. And I was like, where else do we see the words in the beginning? At the start of a story. Um, at the start of a story, that's where we see those words. So, so some of you might have had, so the story continues, right? And, and Ephesians talks about this idea that um, there's a rich history when it comes to uh, God revealing himself. You knew nothing of that rich history of God's covenants and his promises to Israel. Hadn't a clue, hadn't a clue, that's a very Irish way of saying it, hadn't a clue about what God was doing in the world at large. Now, because of our Messiah dying that death, shedding that blood, you, who were once out of it altogether, are in on everything. And the, the, story, that we're t the story of Christianity, the Judeo-Christian story, has a rich history of God, of a God who's interested in the details of our lives, of a, of a God who revealed himself first to one particular people group, um, the people of Israel, and that's the Old Testament story. And now through all the people groups of the world, because what Jesus has done, you are in on everything. So it's a story that we're all part of. And it's a story that warms our hearts, um, but presents us with, is this real? You know, so it's a story that warms our hearts, but has a, has a factor of, well, it, is it real? Um, two of my favorite writers, uh, who I feel make words jump up in me and come alive, are, and they're friends, actually, they were mates, uh, Tolkien and C.S. Lewis. And both of these authors have written stories which describe a king-like figure, a hero, all right. They, both of these both of these authors have written about heroes, um, and these heroes um, they they're full of goodness, they're full of virtue, and um, they 
before they actually appear to us on the pages or on the movie in the, in the cinema, before they actually appear, and they're preceded by rumors and whispers. They're preceded by this anticipation that if this hero comes, it's all gonna be okay. Um, I'm talking, of course, about uh, Aragorn, sorry, another Lord of the Rings reference. Um, first of all, I'll, I'll, I'll touch on him. So uh, Tolkien wrote this little poem in one of the books and um, that really stood out to me. You might not be able to read it. All that, is, all that is gold does not glitter. Not all those who wander are lost. The old that is strong does not wither. Deep roots are not reached by the frost. From the ashes a fire shall be woken. A light from the shadows shall spring. Re renewed shall be blade that was broken. The crownless again shall be king. Now, you might not be familiar with Lord of the Rings, and that's fine. And um, it's just, basically, this Aragorn came from a long line of kings. He came from a long line of kings and people were anticipating him, hoping, longing that this king would come. And uh, so there was a lot of whispers and rumors beforehand about him. And secondly, this is Aslan from The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. And another poem written about him. Wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bears his teeth, winter meets its death. And when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. I think it's supposed to be in a British accent, but <laughs> you get the point. So what, why, why would I bring these up? Why would I bring up these kind of, these whispers, these rumors of a king-like figure? And um, well, there's a, there's a strong suggestion that both of these men, C.S. Lewis and Tolkien, based the, these king figures off the character of Christ. Now, both of them were men of faith, but they hated allegory. Allegory is when you say, you compare, oh, this Aslan is supposed to be Jesus. They hated that sort of stuff. So we don't know for sure, but there's strong suggestions. And when we, what we see in the Christian story is, a, is we also have an ancient promise. And that's why I've alluded to the Old Testament. The gospel is good news because of what finally happened. It's an ancient promise being fulfilled about a God who was doing something in the world. It's a Jewish promise that God would raise up a king, that he would raise up a Messiah. You know, that's why we have those references to Messiah. That God would raise up someone in the middle of history and a ruler who would, a king who would be fair and not corrupt, who would rule with justice and not with terror and who would liberate his people. And so when, the, when we get to Ephesians, when we get to the Gospels, when we get to the New Testament, they all, they all kind of say, um, they all view Jesus as like, the king is here. The king has landed. And so there's a real significance then in everything that came before, because it's a, like a long wait. They were waiting a long time. And that's what makes the good news so sweet. So they didn't necessarily understand when Jesus arrived all that he was going to do. They kind of thought, is this guy going to overthrow the Romans or what's he going to do? But it, you get a sense when you read Ephesians and the New Testament that there's this excitement that um, we will have spring again. Or a light has sprung from the shadows like we reread in these stories. Okay, so... The question, I'm going to finish each thing with a question, and, and uh, I think in a few weeks' time we're going to have House Church Sunday, and that's going to be a chance to look back on the whole series and pick a particular aspect of it. So some questions that you might um, want to think about is, a question I had was, what role does God feature in our stories?
in our stories that make up our lives, what role does God feature in it? Is he a, is he a main character? Is he a helping hand? Is he there at all? What role does God feature in the stories that we make? Okay, so that's the narrative aspect. Oh, sorry, there's the question. What role does God feature in your life story? Okay, and again, as I said, in a few weeks, we're, we're kind of having a, a discussion Sunday. So. All right, secondly, three things. That's the first one, the narrative, the story of what they were talking about. Secondly, the activism, okay? Um, the wise philosopher, I think her name was um, Wendy Phillips, she said, um, <laughs> she asks the question, um, what in this world do you most want to see fixed? When she asked me that question, I just thought about it for a month. What do I most want to see healed? Now, whatever that is for you, there's a good chance that Jesus wants to see that too. And as I study more and as I walk with God more and as I talk to other people on the journey, I really think this is a core aspect of what Jesus and his subsequent followers meant when they talked about good news for the world. And the, good, the results of this good news meant action. It meant action. The king has landed and he's brought a kingdom. So that means action. Um, I was looking up a few, a few facts of what uh, Jesus followers have done throughout history. And I couldn't get over this. This was just a, a shock to me. But um, there's a sociologist, Rodney Stark, and he argues that the primary reason for the spreading of Jesus's movement was the way his followers responded to sick people. So at the beginning, um, first few centuries, um, whenever there was a cathedral in a, in a town or a village, wherever there was a cathedral, um, the church said there must be a hospital too. And that's where we get hospitals. It was places where the sick and the poor could come. So straight away we see the kingdom has come. It means we have to now act as if it's actually here. Um, I'm going to show you some faces here. Does anyone know who this is? This is like the Harris Quiz 2.0. Uh, not as good as the Harris Quiz. But does anyone, has anyone ever come across this person? I hadn't. Um, there, is a, there is a Lutheran pastor in Germany named Theodor Fliedner, and he trained a group of mostly peasant women to nurse the sick. And this led to a movement of hospitals all over Europe, and this inspired a young woman named Florence Nightingale to um, give her life for the care of the sick. Anyone ever? <laughs> I, I had not heard of this guy either. Uh, this is a guy called Jean-Henri uh, Dunant. I'm not, probably not pronouncing that right. But um, what's amazing about this guy is he couldn't stand the sound, he was a follower of Jesus, and he couldn't stand the sound of soldiers crying on the battlefield. And so what he did was um, he started an organization um, in the name of Jesus, and that became known as the Red Cross. And that's this guy who started it. And so it's just to highlight that down through the ages, um, Christians have talked about their good news as being good news for the present. And um, when Jesus started his ministry on earth, he, he started with the words repent, which means turn around, turn the other way. You're not going to want to miss this. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. 
And um, he acted like that throughout his ministry. When he prayed, we prayed the, the Our Father today. He, the, there's words, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so he prayed like that. And he, he actually, he, he acted, his followers acted as if that was true. When they prayed, they prayed. We, we don't just want to pray for the kingdom up in the sky. We want to pray that we see that kingdom more and more in our lives. And, and they were instructed to be like workers in that kingdom. Like, I don't know if anyone knows like a lamppost. Of course you do. A lamppost <laughs> is, um, you know what a lamppost does? It illuminates. So they were to be lampposts that illuminate the darkness. Um, and they were to be signposts that point towards the kingdom. That's how followers of Jesus are supposed to be. So, um, when we get to the Ephesians, some of you might have had this verse. We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared for us in advance to do. And I think that's, I think that's good news. That is the good news for the world, is that the church looks at itself as being part of God's handiwork. And handiwork is a very interesting word. Craftsmanship. It's, it's like something you... I don't know if anyone works with their hands. It's something you do very delicately. Something you put a lot of time and energy in. That's how God looks at us. We are his handiwork. All of us. All of us. And so the question I have at the end of this one is, do we believe that about ourselves? Do we believe that God views us with all our past and all our things that make us up as his handiwork. And that we are created, that we were created to with whatever that, with, with purpose. And I, I have to honestly say, no, I don't always believe that about myself. Um, but that's the good news. That's part of the good news story. And secondly, what in this world or what in your community do you want, do you want to see fixed, to quote, um, uh, to quote the philosopher. So, that's the second aspect, okay? We're down to the last aspect now. We've talked about the narrative aspect of the gospel. We've talked about the activist aspect. So you could almost say the, the past, in a way, you could say something that's come from the past, something we work at at the present, and something, lastly, that we, that we look forward to, the restoration aspect of the gospel, okay? So this, you might have had this verse, Ephesians 1, chapter 10. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times, when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. God's good pleasure his good pleasure. Again, great words. Like when you take pleasure in something, I, you know, sometimes I have to stop and think about those words. His good pleasure is that he's putting the world back together again. And I think that's the overwhelming sense I see in the New Testament, is that God is putting the world back together again. Um, individually, so when a person trusts God with their whole life, he does something in their life, he gives them a new uh, heart and what's the word corporately what he do, what he's going to do for the whole world what he's going to do for his whole creation um, 
God is ultimately not prepared to see evil triumph. And so I think uh, that Christianity is about new life where there was once death. It's about spring where there was once winter. And it's about healing where there was once sickness. And um, I, I really believe that in bringing unity, uh, he's, he's actually, they call it God's great restoration project. That God is working towards something. That history is going somewhere. And it's not yet at where the times reach their fulfillment, but one day it will be. And, of course, you may say, and you may say with a very, it's a very good question, where is the evidence, really, today that God's putting the world back together? Because I don't see it. You might say, I'm listening to more in Ireland, and I don't see any evidence of God putting the world back together. Um, but you might have even read this other scripture that was also out there under the, th under the chairs. He let the world which doesn't know a thing about living tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. It's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with the whole lot of us. Instead, immense in his mercy and with an incredible love, he embraced us. So that speaks about God's forgiveness, of course. But you can see that we all know like, that the world is marred with evil. It just is. It's just... It just, it takes us ages to think of a good news story. Um, it, every day people's lives are taken. Every day people hurt, people starve. Every day evil lifts its ugly head. All around the world. But the, and this is why it's, this is why it's good news. The good news of Ephesians, the good news of the scriptures, the good news of Christianity is that God has rolled up his sleeves and is bringing unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Jesus. He's putting the world back together again. Like a surgeon stitches up a wound, like a great artist uh, restores a painting. That is the promise that we read about. God's going to wash these world's lungs of disobedience and give it new lungs to breathe. And this is how I'm going to finish. It's, I, I, I work with students who want facts and evidence. And I, 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 this isn't wishful thinking. And that's important to say. Our blueprint, our proof, our evidence for this is what happened at Easter. Because um, that is the great climax. And I've become obsessed with the resurrection. I've actually just, I just I've become obsessed with it. Because it's a, a reminder. What happens at Easter is a reminder that this is not the end. Uh, that uh, it's a reminder that the Christian wakes up every single day, no matter what kind of day you've had, no matter what kind of week you're having, the Christian wakes up knowing that the best is yet to come. That's an amazing thing. That's an astonishing thing to wake up and, and to be able to say. The Franciscan sister, Ailia Delio, she says, we desperately need to recover. You know, we are resurrection people. Does that make any impact to our lives? And I need, to, I need to wake up and ask myself that question. Do I believe that I'm a resurrection person, that Jesus is resurrected, and that that life is in me? Because, because it changes the way I look at everything. It changes the way I deal with grief. It changes the way I respond to evil. It changes the way I view hope. Do we... Where's the question?
do you live like the resurrection of Jesus really happened? It's, I've got to ask myself that every day. I've got to ask myself, is it just some random thing that kind of happens at the end of the Gospels? Or was it pointing towards something? What God will eventually do? And um, I believe that's the, the hope, that's the restoration aspect. What he does, what he restores a person and he restores the creation. Okay, so those are three aspects. I'm around afterwards if you want to come and talk to me or if you disagree with anything I've said, I'm, I'm around to talk about it. But those are three aspects that I see and that I'm, I'm working out in my own life. And, and this, is, this is my... Uh, um, I, <laughs> I mean, I'll say this and then I'm really going to shut up. Um, I, there's, I feel like they're all of equal importance. And I feel like... How do I say this? I think that if you leave out one of them, it just, there's a gap. So if you leave out the activism one, well then you kind of have to ask the question, how does our gospel speak to the world today, apart from the future hope? And how do you make it not just about your own relationship with God? If you leave out the good news that it's good news for the world now, and if you take away the restoration part, which a lot of people want to do now, they want to say, let's just focus on what Jesus said about socially, and let's forget about and the fact that he rose from the dead. And if you, if you leave that part out, um, you, Jesus becomes, what's the point, ultimately? Because Jesus becomes another wise teacher, a social teacher, a moral teacher. But he, what makes him any different from all the great teachers down in history? And if there's no future hope, ultimately, what's the point? And so I'm really strong on that one. And um, we need the restoration aspect. And, and finally, we need the narrative aspect, because if we leave out the history of God's long search for man, that Jesus didn't randomly just appear out of nowhere, but it was actually God's long, it's the, it's the, it's the climax of God's searching, God's yearning for people to know him. If we leave that part out, well, I think story is the currency and language of the world. Everyone can identify with stories. Um, it's, people listen to stories. We understand so much through stories. Jesus communicated through stories. Uh, there's this guy, Jeff Betka, and he says, I want you to think of the last sermon you heard, and now think of the last movie you watched. Which can you remember more of? And it's like, oh, definitely the movie. But, you know, people learn through stories. We, we get meaning through stories. And I think um, articulating the gospel in the framework of the story that it is is so crucial um, because of the significance of who Jesus was. So I feel like they, they kind of, they're like a divine dance. They're like a triple decker. And I think all the aspects are important, but there's maybe more. So, um, so a amen. Um, I, I, um, I think... I think that's all I have to say on that, and, um, and maybe I'll pray, I'll pray, that's what I'll do. And, um, but yeah, just maybe take note of the questions. In a few weeks, we'll, we'll have a chance to discuss them, and please, come and chat to me afterwards about uh, any, because I know I said an awful lot, um, but uh, that's because I was given two chapters to do. Um, so, uh, Lord God, we thank, you for, um, we thank you for the aspects of the good news. Uh, we thank you for the aspects of um, the gospel that just, that speak life into us. We thank you for the story. We thank you for um, the fact that it's, it's a good news story. Um, there's so much to be grateful for. We thank you that Easter is coming, and at Easter we celebrate the fact that death is not the end, 
and we celebrate it with um, just with hope that it's real and that you are bringing unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. And we thank you for how Christ came, the shedding of his blood and the dying of his death uh, to bring us new life. And um, we, uh, we pray that these aspects of the gospel would become rooted in our heart and that we would see them work um, in action. In Jesus' name, amen.